Since you're enjoying Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula, please consider checking out some other podcasts available in the Yab Yum Network, like The Mortician's Daughter, your monthly meditation on the macabre, hosted by me, Carly Shorman, or Band Basics, hosted by Mark Anderson, senior editor at Yab Yum, where he talks to musicians about the ins and outs of that music life. Everything from touring to licensing to finding balance between work, home, and band will be covered in this interview-style podcast. Next, we offer Prize-Fighting Kangaroo, and as the name clearly suggests, this show is about cinema and movie culture, hosted by two cultural critics and Giacomos from the desert, Amy Young and Ashley Naftul. To find any of these podcasts or more episodes of Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula, head to your preferred podcasting platform and hit follow. Or you can head to yabyumwest.com and select podcasts at the top. That's Y-A-B-Y-U-M west.com. I never meant to let this happen. What do you do? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yabya Music and Arts presents Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. Written by Carly Shorman and Dale Rasmussen. Original music and sound design by Devin Morris. Executive producers Carly Shorman and Mark Anderson. Episode 6. So long, Salome's. Just so I'm clear, lay it out for me one more time. Oh, for Pete's sake, Malachi, buy a pen. Okay, one more time. I'll go to the ship this morning around two. I'm going to tell the mate that I left the bottles with that there's a new rash of heat. Shouldn't be hard to sell. And that I need to take the bottles back. Then an hour later, I'll meet you with the goods, you give me back my lighter, and we go our separate ways. That all sounds fine. What I want to hear again is where you want to meet. There's a section of the old docks on the outer ring of old Alfar. Doesn't see a lot of traffic, and what it does is usually folks who would like to keep their business to themselves. Shouldn't be a lot of people stopping to ask us questions. In the underlevels. Best place for it. In a pig's ear. What do you mean? If you think I'm crawling around in that sewer just so that I can wander into some ambush that you've set up down there, You've got another thing coming, Stone. An ambush. Seven hells, Stratford. This whole scene is cockeyed enough without you getting paranoid on me. Sell it to someone else. I'm not going down there. Okay. Well, I assume you'd prefer not to take possession of a load of solar-hot contraband in the middle of my dance floor during evening rush. So where were you thinking? We'll meet at the public gardens, three o'clock. The gardens, Malachi. 
Really, there could be a crowd, even that late at night. Not in the areas that went up in your little bonfire. They're still closed down for cleaning, reconstruction, and reseeding. Should be nice and quiet. And as a bonus, it'll give you a chance to pay your respects. You're a real prince, Commissioner. Okay. Three o'clock, Stratford, but don't be late. I don't want to be standing there with the goods out in the open so someone can give me the same treatment Dietz gave that Pinkerton. Thinking of Dietz standing in my office that night, a knapsack full of stolen goods over one shoulder and shaking hands painting a real clear picture of desperation and an addled mind. What I wouldn't give to roll back the clock just to that moment. I would have tossed him down the stairs myself in front of everyone. But life doesn't give you do-overs, and thinking about what I could have done differently was just another waste of time I didn't have. I needed to focus on what to do next, and that meant placating Malachi Stratford. Fine, agreed. And don't be late yourself. You don't want me to have to come looking for you. The screen went dead. I took up my drink and ambled to the door. From the hubbub coming up the stairs, we'd turned Wallace's two-hour setback into a full house. The moment she stormed out with her blues in tow, I was too low to think about opening the doors. But Zara made the right call, and she always did. First, it was better to appear it was business as usual, rather than letting the law on the station think they had me in a chokehold. And there was something about the sounds of a bustling evening at Salome's that always brought up my spirits. Speaking of, it was time to make my rounds. I drained my glass, straightened my coat, and sauntered down the stairs, hoping to seem more jovial than I actually felt. Nolan Stone, as I live and breathe. I heard you all had some trouble opening tonight. I hope you're not expecting more of the same. Clemente Fox. Always a pleasure to see the finest Modiste from the North Street Curve <laughs> slumming it in Salome's. Now, seeing as how I know you only come down here for some of the lighter restrictions the Independent Coalition offers, I can't help but wonder if maybe you're looking for some trouble tonight? Nonsense. Oh, not looking for trouble. Oh, I meant about slumming it. Salome's is the only place below South Street that doesn't qualify. And that's why you are my favorite customer, Clem. Have you tried the newest Vidirian cider? All the rage up in the Starlight District. I cannot keep it in stock. Winston, a Vidirian cider for our friend here. Winston approached with a warm smile and an ice cold drink. Thank you, Winston. You're going to love this. Straight from the new Laxberries of Disponia, in a small town on the planet's Ooh. southern hemisphere, you've never tasted anything quite <laughs> like it. You're too much, Nolan. You know I can never resist a lively cider. Well, when you fall in love, ask Winston to secret away a case for you. I bought three cases from my vendor just the other day, and I just about had to resort to fisticuffs to get those. But for you, I would part with one. I'd be happy to, Mr. Fox. I gave Clemente a wink, and Winston a subtle gesture that he should also set up a cider 
for the young man in Clemente's shadow that he had pointedly not introduced. Fox would love the stuff, and Winston would send a case by his shop tomorrow. Truth is, I had taken 17 cases in trade a month ago on an introduction, and good old Clemmy would be helpful in helping me drive up the popularity and the price to his silver spoon cohorts. I felt the flush of a well-maneuvered play, and then, all at once, for just an M, the flush drained away and I felt nothing but a fool. Here I was, trying to scratch out a few more kopecks on booze I'd gotten all but for free, while around me my galaxy teetered on the edge of collapse. Fortunately, before I fell down the rabbit hole of self-recrimination again, I heard a kittenish voice purr behind me. Nolan, Nolan, Nolan. What's a lady gotta do to get a little attention around here? Ona, sweetheart. You just smile and wave that pretty hand in the air. One of the servers will be with you before you know it. Not the kind of attention I'm looking for, Nolan. Well, my mistake, sweetheart. I beg your pardon. What brings you back to Aldfar? I thought the Gibraltar was on a different route these days. Oh, it is. But I'm not a steward on the Gibraltar anymore. Was that why you didn't stop in when she came out far three months ago? You hurt my feelings, Ona. No, I was still on her then. I was just mad at you. And now? Now I'm on the Vanamir. I meant, are you still angry with me? Oh, I know what you meant. I just haven't decided. Hmm. So, the Vanamir, huh? Is she still under Captain Ninchy? The ship and every lanky hand on her, on a rotation. Why'd you leave the Gibraltar? That was kind of a prestige spot, wasn't it? Yeah. She's one of the biggest passenger liners in the Nocturne, but the head of staff was an asshole, and we had it out, good and ugly. From there, it was time to make a move. Ninchy still doing runs in the Gaia Compact? Indeed she does. I've seen every rock in the AEL more times than I can count. Time to explore some new ports. Any favorites? I must say I'm quite taken with Athenia. The canal cities have an old world charm like you see in the history books. Uh, the city with all the beautiful buildings and canals instead of roads. Venice. That's the one. Maybe I was a, a Venetian courtesan in a past life. Or a countess. <laughs> I think you and I both know that's less likely. Anyway, are you going to dance with me? I'd love to, but business calls. <sighs> Doesn't it always? Well, I've got pride enough not to beg. The Vanamir should be passing through once or twice a year, so I'll be seeing you around, handsome. You better stop in, or I'll come looking for you. Tell Winston I said to put another drink in your hand. On me, darling. I walked away from Ona feeling nothing but drained. I didn't know how long I could keep this up. The facade was wearing me down, and the tritogenius stashed beneath the bar had eclipsed my complete attention. Like a heart beating under the floorboards, pounding at the edges of my sanity. Nolan, we got an issue. What is it, Chewie? It's Flynn Morgan. Morgan? What about... Stone! Nolan Stone! He was standing in the center of my dining room, red-eyed and unshaven, still wearing the same clothes I'd last seen him in. 
I tried to convince myself the smell coming off of him, even from meters away, was the booze in the air, but I knew better. His feet shuffled unsteadily under him, but his laser stare on me was unwavering. The din around us died down as heads pivoted in Morgan's direction. Evening, Flynn. You're not looking so great. Want to come upstairs for a drink? No, 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 I don't want to go anywhere with you. I don't want... What do you want, Flynn? Did you know, you son of a bitch? Know what? Cut the bullshit. I know Wallace is here earlier, and I know why. She was on the Coleridge, Nolan. Cherry died in the Memorial Gardens. Burned to a crisp in that fire. Nothing left to remember her by but a DNA sample. I know. I heard, but... You heard? What'd you do to her, Nolan? Listen, Flynn, I don't, I don't know what kind of trouble Cherry was mixed up in, but let's... Stop! Stop! Stop it! Stop it, Stone. Cherry was a good woman. An honest woman. Sure, she might have, you know, walked the line. But she wouldn't have thrown herself into trouble like that. Not without you there to push her. I'm not saying different, man. But she got in a little over her head. I don't know what happened or, or why. I don't think anybody does. When you had nothing to do with it? Nothing at all? 20 years of running this joint and keeping a low profile despite the various strata of gangsters and smugglers who've walked through the doors. And now it was my closest ally in the peacekeeping sector, blasting a hole in everything I'd built. At first, all eyes had been on Morgan and myself, and we still held the majority of the room's attention. But folks had started to whisper among themselves, sharing old stories half-remembered rumors, outright fabrications. Look, Flynn, maybe trouble found her in Salome's, and if that's true, then yeah, I'll admit I have a certain level of remorse that a nice girl like Cherry might have made the wrong kind of friends on my watch. But that's as far as it goes. And frankly, buddy, she was over the age of consent, over the age of trade, and plenty old enough to make her own decisions. I run a clean place, by the books, you know this. You might forget, we indies work with a thinner rule book than you all in the GC, so can we- You're making jokes, you prick! You think you're gonna throw me off with a little friendly banter and your honest businessman act? Not this time, Stone. If you wanna know the truth, not for a long time now. Flynn, I know you're messed up over Cherry. I am too, but this is the grief talking. You know me, maybe I'm not a saint, but I don't put the kids who work with me in front of trouble. You know that. So let's just go somewhere and raise a glass to missing friends, man. In private. <laughs> Nothing to do with you. Then why did Deets walk away from that 10 large on the table? I've been drinking here for years now. And I'm not an idiot, Nolan, whatever you convince yourself of. I know what you do here. And as far as I was concerned, that was Wallace's problem. In here, I was off duty. So if you help some merchant from Jocasta find a ship to take his moonshine to Dahlia, or a load of tax-free whiskey to Iaso, who really gives a shit? When you push it till the GC is breathing down my neck about a diplomatic incident and two dead Goodwill ambassadors fried to a crisp on the station, along with a hooker who I said goodbye to Two days ago, you make it real goddamn hard to turn a blind eye, Stony. 
This is big and I know it. So you better come clean with me right now, Nolan. I'm not here to bust you. I didn't come in here of an army like Wallace did, but it's good to be straight. I'm your friend. I took a long, hard look at Flynn Morgan and beyond him at the sea of scandalized and judgmental eyes behind him. My friend. Sure, why not? We'd gotten drunk together more times than I could count. We told each other dirty jokes. We commiserated when our weeks were utter shit. But were we friends, actually? And the ugly, uncomfortable, true answer? No. We weren't. I didn't have friends. Not really. Employees I was friendly with. Customers I was happier to see than others. Maybe Zara. Maybe one. But friends? Plural? No. I'm just not that kind of guy. Judge me or pity me. If it came down to it and I had to walk away from my whole life, everyone I'd known for the last two decades, a year from now, I'd only miss Salome's. Listen, Flynn, we are friends. Ever since you bottomed out on that white rum and we tried to get those initiates of the dynastic order to break their vows. A lot of years, but that doesn't change the truth. Dietz came here that night looking for a ship. I didn't know why and I didn't ask. I suppose maybe I figured he was moving something or, or taking a powder himself and I gave him the name of a ship I knew was leaving soon. That's the truth. Or at least that was as much truth as Morgan and the crowd of gawking onlookers could expect to get out of me. What was the name? What? You gave him the name of a ship. What ship? That was the question I knew was coming that I didn't want to answer. But I didn't have a good enough lie, close enough at hand. The Coleridge. I'd been inching closer to Morgan throughout our exchange, hoping to get a chance to steer him off the dining room floor. And other than his swaying, he hadn't moved at all. But he stepped forward before I could blink, and the meat hook he laced across my mouth and jaw left me seeing stars. As off-balance as Morgan was, I was the one who pirouetted across the room like an amateur ballerina collapsed to a heap in front of a well-heeled tourist couple in their best finery. Hership! Why do you have to give him Hership's name? Because I didn't know, Morgan. If I knew, I'd have tossed him out on his ear, but I didn't know, and I had no reason to. You think Dietz ever lifted anything bigger than a tennis bracelet or a bottle of benzos? I didn't know. Hell, if I could go back to that night, I'd wring Dietz's neck myself before he laid that bet for all the trouble it caused. Guy loses a huge chunk of change at your table. That's supposed to be good for me. Biggest pain in the ass free money I ever got a hold of. I held up a hand, hoping he'd give me some help to my feet. But Morgan just lurched away toward the bar. I saw Winston square up, but... From my spot on the floor, I waved him off. 
Flynn thrust a paw over the bar and came back with a bottle of scotch. He took a long pull, and his face flushed almost painfully. Moments ticked by, no one feeling confident enough to move or speak out loud. With a wary eye trained on Morgan, I pushed myself to my feet and wiped a patch of blood from my busted lip. Those initiates sure were pretty. Pretty young. We were too. They were younger. Old enough to forsake their lives with those nonsense vows. Well, we did our best to steer them in a different direction. I'm sure they've spent a lot of lonely years weaving tapestries on a Gia, or maybe growing herbs on a Yasso. We could have shown them a much livelier path. Their loss, I guess. Definitely. Flynn, you know I steer clear of trouble. I just want to drink my scotch and run my bar. That's all I ever wanted. I said that last part a little louder for the benefit of our audience. I always thought that was your play, but now I'm starting to have my doubts. It doesn't matter much now anyway. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and then I'll see what the truth of it is. He stumbled to the side two steps, then righted himself and lumbered towards the door. I didn't move to stop him, and no one else was feeling brave enough to try. En masse, we watched as he staggered out of the dining room, dragging a sack of his doubts and his anger behind him, and smearing the stain and stink of them across the floor. Watching him go, I thought that Flynn was a good man, Maybe not the brightest star in the nebula, but good guys seldom are. But I had more pressing matters to address. I gave the scandalized crowd the winningest smile I could manage. Well, folks, just another night at Salome's. I got nothing back but quiet like the black of space. Sorry for the disruption. Have a round on the house. I gave Winston a wave and drifted towards the stairs. For what was coming, I needed to not be the center of attention. I hoped disappearing from the floor and dumping a chunk of the night's profits in free drinks would make it easier for the crowd to forget the debacle that had just played out in front of them. And I hoped it would happen pretty quickly. It was almost time now. Two hours later, two hours that I spent hiding in my office like a scolded child, the place was hopping. The band's music from the cabaret hall was being piped throughout the lower level. Zara's team fluttered like brightly colored butterflies amid the clientele in their Sunday best. Gowns of every shade woven with crystals and pearls. Suits pressed to perfection. Lipstick smiles and perfumed necks. The primal and the proper melded together and whipped to a high, frothy finish. I loved this place. Salome's, the noise, the crowds, the ever-present festivity in the air. The whole of the universe 
All of infinity was a place for despair. And in a hundred billion stars, this was the only bright spot I'd found. In here, everything is beautiful and fun and free of the arbitrary consequences we love to impose on each other. Except now, because even as I slunk like a thief from my own office, eyes were already turning toward me. Salome's spell was broken. If I didn't come back from my meeting with Stratford, would I just be remembered for this one night? Would that handful of moments I spent bleeding on the floor with Flynn Morgan standing over me be all that lived on in the minds and the whispers of Outfar Station? The night when everyone learned that the charming owner of the classiest joint in the stockyards was really someone, something else. I held up my hand to wave off anyone who might approach, but I needn't have bothered. No one was looking to shake my hand now. I glanced to my left as I headed towards the coat room and saw Zara standing there, flirting warmly with a regular from one of the Jocasta liners. I met her dark eyes for the barest moment before they danced away without so much as a flash of pity or contempt, barely even recognition. Time would change her mind about me once again, I knew. Eventually, she'd see that I wasn't the bad guy here. And if she didn't, she'd convince herself. Uh, for my part, if I hadn't managed to convince myself yet, I supposed I wasn't going to be able to. My watch said I had only a few hours until my meeting with Stratford, where I'd hand over the box of juice, and if Malachi was good to his word, I'd get back the only piece of evidence that tied me to the conflagration of the day before. He'd promised that after that, I'd walk away with my life and my bar. The only trouble was, he was almost certainly lying, but there was nothing for it, and it was time to get a move on. I'd gathered up a few odds and ends I had tucked away for a rainy day. From the electricity in the air, I felt like I was facing down the storm of the century. Chewy materialized in front of me, in that damnable way of his. Winston's been asking for you, boss. Needs to know where you stashed the rye. Chewie, I'm going to need you to handle those things tonight. You know where I keep the backstock. You, uh, heading out? Yeah. I got a few things to take care of. He'll be back soon? There was a catch in his voice when he said it that made me realize he had doubts. I won't lie. That hurt. I wondered if Zara had said something. Or if it was just the instinct of a street rat who'd been cut out on more than once before. Hell, maybe he was just a little bent sideways over the scene earlier with Morgan. I always figured the kid knew the score, but who knew? I guess it didn't matter. He'd know everything he needed to, soon enough. Yeah, Chewie. Before sunup. If the stars shine the right way. Well, all right, boss. We'll be here, waiting. I hefted the sack of knickknacks I'd brought from my office over my shoulder. It wasn't much, 
a wooden mantle clock made back on Earth way back in the year 1913. There was a small hatch in the undercarriage, and stashed inside were two healthy uncut diamonds, along with a pair of ruby drop earrings I bought about eight years ago, the last time I stuck in my toe to test the waters of earnest romance. Ended badly, as that kind of thing always does, but along with the rest of the stack, at least the mementos could bring me some walking around money tonight. If things went south in any kind of less than immediately fatal way, having whatever I could get on hand might prove useful. Like an underachieving cat burglar, I hauled my stack of meager treasures into the coat room, where Charlotte jumped to hide the tablet she was reading. Good evening, Mr. Stone. I thought I told you earlier to take the rest of the night off. Yeah, I didn't. Who else would check the coats? Someone else could... <sighs> and I know we've talked about reading at the counter, haven't we? Sorry, Mr. Stone. You going on another secret jaunt by night? Not so much tonight, Charlotte. And you shouldn't ask so many questions. By my count, I only asked one, but whatever you say, Mr. Stone. Just... Don't have the tablet on the counter where the customers can see it. And Charlotte? You were never here? You're a good kid. With a quick smile in Charlotte's direction, I slipped through the passageway to where I'd hidden Cherry's knapsack. Or was it Dietz's? Either way, it, the box, everything that I'd stowed in the cubbyhole came out. I was about to climb back up the stairs when the darkness of the corridor started singing a siren song in my ear. I thought about slipping further down the passageway, into the dark underbelly of the station, away from Stratford and Wallace and everyone and everything else that had set its sights on me. Maybe I could find a captain, negotiate passage to Garion or Lore, or maybe even the Innes outpost. I could move the Tritogenia from there. I could sell any kind of booze anywhere. I was still pretty sure of that. Make a little something to line my pocket for whatever was coming next. Trouble was, I knew exactly what it was that would come next. The rest of my days would be spent looking over my shoulder or watching the ground in front of me for approaching shadows. Whatever seasons I had left to me would be devoted to waiting for the day when the Madre Benevolencia's seraphs arrived, without fanfare, with pressing questions about the Tridigenia and the encoded marriage contract. They'd already destroyed the coal ridge to keep it a secret, and I had no doubt that they'd happily add my name to a list of casualties no one would ever write down. And over and above that, as stupidly sentimental as it was, if this was the last time I ever walked out of Salome's, I wanted to walk out the front doors. I'd all but crawled in the door of this place 20 years ago, and together we'd brought each other up to the heights of esteem on Aldfar Station. Salome's and me. So I'd be spaced before I slunk out the way I came in little better than a street rat. I'd walk out the front doors of my bar like the owner. Like a success. 
I turned away from the shadows, situated the goods and the knapsack over one shoulder before climbing back up to the coat room. Charlotte didn't so much as glance at me as I slipped through the door, but as I stepped out of the coat check, she whispered back at me. Have a nice night, Mr. Stone. I chuckled. Smartass. If I didn't wind up firing her, she might have potential beyond hanging overcoats and shawls and taking tickets. She might not be the age of trade, and not everyone took to that kind of work anyway, but she could sling drinks with Winston until she figured out where she wanted to fit in on the floor. And here I was, still making plans for tomorrow when tonight was crumbling beneath my feet. I left Charlotte to the tablet she'd tucked just out of sight below the counter and made my way to the main entrance. Heading out, Mr. Stone? Yes, Darius. I'll be back before dawn. And if I'm not, close her down like usual. Of course, Mr. Stone. I tried to stop myself from looking back as I left, but I couldn't. There was a healthy line of folks still waiting to come in, and they looked so very fine standing under the sand pseudo-stone facade and the neon pink announcing Salome's to the darkness of Outfar with a brassy hum that echoed in the bristling street. I tried to wrap my gaze around all of it, every inch, until it was painful. I couldn't see it hard enough. No one could say for certain how this night would end. For all I could bank on, Stratford had used the hours between my call and now to line the streets with his men. If he decided not to play by the rules, and he didn't have to, as he was calling this game as long as he had the lighter, I'd be walking right into a trap, with enough illegal tritogenia to send me to Mannix prison for the rest of my days. But what else could I do? I needed to find a late-night pawn and turn this stack of keepsakes into whatever copex I could. To fold now would be the end of everything, so there was nothing left to do but keep playing this mess of a hand and hope to bluff it into something worthwhile later. Way more of a gamble than I was comfortable with. But I'd been in rougher spots before. I reminded myself of that as I made my way through the stockyards, and tried, without luck to remember one such occasion. Jones, you gotta do better than that. In the middle of the night? Stone, you gotta be kidding me. Wake me up to sell me a pile of old junk and then haggle me out of my shop. Wake you up? That act would go a lot further if you didn't have an open 24-hour sign in the window. And either way, I know you spend all night riding poppers until Andromeda wakes up to mind the shop until dark again. Don't play me like a station hopper. You've been ripping off tourists so long you must have forgot. Some of us live in the neighborhood. Well, I ain't got no poppers tonight. So's I was hoping to just get a little shut-eye. So then cut me a decent price and I'll let you get back to your sugar plum fairies. Look, I don't know what you think I'm going to do with some antiques like this. The clock's an antique, but those stones... Are something I don't handle. I could sell the earrings, sure, but the diamonds? Look around you, Nolan. That rat shit in the corner give you the impression you're in a swanky jewelry store? 
I already told you. I know a buy. She's coming through in two weeks' time. She'll take the whole stack off you. Oh, yeah? A mystery buyer in only two weeks, huh? What do you take me for, Stone? A guy who's trying like crazy to foul up a stroke of blind luck. This isn't just about the Copex, Jonesy. You're not paying for the stuff. You're paying for the name. This lady is someone you want to know. You never made me no introductions before. Been running in this neighborhood a long time. And those poppers you're so fond of got you a reputation I wasn't in love with introducing to friends of mine. But I'm over a barrel, and this is your chance to take advantage of it. So how much you looking for, then? Twenty. Thousand? <laughs> Are you serious? Kick rock, Stone. Nothing doing. Cost of doing business when you're playing with the big kids, Siler. You just need to help me out with this one deal and don't piss off my friend when you meet her. You'll come out on top in the end. You got my word. For 20000 I damn well better, Stone, or I'll be coming for you. Yeah, fair enough. Now bring me some money. Twenty. And please, don't hand me bills with a bunch of sticky, greasy shit all over them. <laughs> Place like this, Stone? Sticky Copex is the only Copex there is. Wait here a minute. We don't keep that up front. I watched as Siler Jones wrestled his swollen, arthritic legs out from under his chair behind the counter, and with some wheezing effort, disappeared through a secure door in the back. Elsie would take the lot off of his hands for thirty, and make twice that on the clock alone with the markup she applied for Upper Crust and the AEL, who liked to pretend they were Joan of Arc or Kublai Khan in their last life. Hopefully the ridiculous profit margin would soothe her temper, because she wouldn't be happy about someone like Siler having her contact codes. Elsie's got no issues dealing with scoundrels, but she prefers them of a certain class. Twenty grand might not be enough to start over, or at least not in the style to which I had grown accustomed, but desperate times and all that. Besides... I'd done with a lot less once upon a lifetime ago. Siler Jones trundled out of his back room. All right, Stone, I got your damn money. He handed me a sack without any markings. I opened it and saw a jumbled wad of tri-cornered bills. True to Jonesy's word, every one of them looked to be stained in a different shade. I plucked a fistful from inside and started stacking them. What are you... You're counting it? Right here in front of me? Ain't you got no class, Stone? You don't know how to do business with folks. Seventeen. Eighteen. Nineteen. Yeah, just about what I figured. You're five hundred shy. Count it again. I can actually count to twenty pretty easily, Jones. We don't all suffer from your allergy to numbers. Let's just get this over with, Siler. I'm not leaving without the full twenty. So the sooner you cough it up, the sooner you go back to your nap. All right, all right, all right. But if this name comes back Bunkstone, I'm... I know, I know. You'll be coming for me. Damn straight, I will. He produced another roll of three corners from his waistband and pressed them into my hand. The roll was moist. Nice doing business with you. You want to put in a call to Elsie Cathcart. She'll be bringing the magpie in, like I said, in two weeks. Hold on, let me write it down. Absolutely not. 
You remember it or you don't, but you set pen to paper or punch it in a screen and I'll be coming for you, Jonesy. This is how you play the game at this level. <sighs> Fine. Elsie Cathcart, Magpie. You tell her that you got her name from a friend of hers that owes her six cases of dandelion wine. Say it back to me. Six cases of dandelion wine. Yeah, that's it. Remember to play nice with her, Siler. Don't try your nickel and dime pawnbroker act on her, yeah? Whatever you say, Stone. I tossed the soggy roll of Kopex into the sack with the others and walked out of the store feeling a little better, if only for a moment. The ancient alchemy of having cash on hand. It just makes problems seem more solvable. A lot of years ago, I left Planetside for the first time with less than a grand in my pocket and no knowledge of how the nebula worked. Twenty wasn't much if I had to start again, but it'd be a damn sight better jumping off point than I'd had then. As I walked into the late-night darkness of the station's streets, I wished Elsie luck. I'd done what I could. Dandelion wine was how she'd know that Jones got her name from me, but the six cases bit was our code that she should play her cards close and careful with Siler Jones. But however that played out, it would play out in two weeks, and I had problems to deal with tonight. I needed to focus on my meeting with Stratford. I slipped through the streets and alleys of the stockyards heading toward the tower. I could bypass the bulk of the district through the horn, but I had a little time. And if Stratford had given me a tale, I might as well give him the cliched cloak and dagger show he'd expect. Two ways this could play out. I could very well be good little lambing my way into a setup, and Stratford would bust me for the drugs and the fire in the gardens and put a little feather in his cap. But I was banking on his ego, and that Stratford saw this situation as a way to blow the lid off of an interstellar incident and embarrass the GC in the Indies. Like he said, and I don't think he's reading the tea leaves wrong on this one, that could well be enough to earn himself a cushy seat as the top cop in some posh city in the AEL. Stratford wasn't an idiot, but he was narcissistic enough that he wouldn't entertain the notion that things wouldn't work out like he planned. At least, that's what I was hoping. It's not like he was giving away the farm in trade. He gets the tritogenia, and I get... What, what I already have? My bar, my life on the station. Plus, he'd have dirt on me. And Stratford was the kind who enjoyed leverage. Anytime one of his planet-side operations pointed out far, he'd be ringing me up and expecting some friendly assistance. All in all, not the most attractive prospect for yours truly, but a lot better than the life sentence I'd be looking at if I didn't walk out of this meeting tonight with that lighter in my pocket. I took a left out of an alleyway, and suddenly, there I was. On the street, I had been walking with Cherry less than 24 hours ago. It had been a hell of a day. 
Such an awful price had been paid to get this knapsack out of the gardens, and now I was trudging back with the damn thing in tow. I could feel a bloody circle closing around me. Stratford had been right. There weren't a lot of people around, or at least not that I could see, but it was hard not to expect one of Stratford's flatfoots behind every tree. I clambered under a barricade, blocking off the scene of the fire, and moved as quickly as I could to the spot where we said we would meet, right by Ricky Hamper's damn Wigalia bush. I should never have pulled the bag out. Oh well. No sense now in should-haves and would-haves. I was there now, at the agreed-upon meeting place, and I hadn't been swallowed in a tidal wave of Malachi's A.E.L. goons, so that was a good sign. Stratford should be showing his face soon. Alone in the darkness, I stood still and listened to the quiet around me, being as reassured by silence as I could manage. Stone? Damn it. Is that you? Stratford, you're late. I'm not late. We're on my time, Stone. You ought to remember that. Oh, come on, Malachi. You wouldn't want to be out in the open carrying something like this. I shrugged to indicate that I had the knapsack over my shoulder. Good, you've got the stuff. Right here. And you have my lighter. I do. He reached a hand into his coat, and I stiffened up but he didn't pull an iron out of his jacket. Even in the low light, I recognized the flash of my lighter. Toss it over then. Put that bag on the ground and step away. I eased the knapsack off of my shoulder and set it on the ground. Now step away. No chance, Malachi. Toss it here. Fine. Here you go. He tossed the lighter to me in an underhanded arc, and I barely had to extend my hand forward. It dropped into my palm, and I clutched it in my fist like a drowning man grasps a rope. Relief almost buckled my knees, but I kept my feet. My elated relief lasted only the briefest second. Now step away from the bag, slowly. Following his instructions, I took three large, slow steps to my left. Stratford watched me hungrily, and when I'd gotten what he judged an appropriate distance away, he held up a hand to stop me. Pun notwithstanding, considering our location. I wasn't out of the woods yet. My ears were straining against the silence for the sound of movement nearby. Footsteps, shuffling. Stratford's team rushing in with stunners drawn, but it didn't come. For the commissioner's part, he only seemed interested in the bag. He bolted towards where it lay on the ground and hunched over to peer inside. He pulled out a fistful of blue fabric, the dress that Cherry loved so much. What the hell is this? He flung it away behind him onto the dirty cobblestone path. 
I bristled, but then I remembered what I had done to her dress and decided not to play the hypocrite. A remnant of cherry cordial. It was her bag, remember? Stratford shrugged in dismissal and dug out the polished box with the jeweled corners and the faux mahogany stain. Even now, in the gloom of station night, I saw those orange jewels flash like an angel's eyes. Stratford all but licked his chops as he pawed at it. Yes, I knew the GC was hiding something the minute those diplomatic papers came through. You know, I've read about this stuff, but I've never actually set eyes on it. He lifted the lid, which swung open like a hungry demon's mouth, and pulled out a slender cylinder of the milky liquid. It sparkled slightly in the low light, like fresh summer snow on Calais. I still don't see why the Gaia Compact gets in such a huff when this stuff goes wandering. Sure, you have to put a lid on narcotic smuggling, naturally, but I don't get all the bowing and scraping to that Madre Benevolencia cult. But every time you hear about someone pinching a load of this stuff... Well now, what do we have here? Stratford's eyes just about popped out of his head as Yoli Wallace stepped from the shadows, weapon drawn. He fumbled, nearly dropping the Tritogenia in a scrambling rush to set the box near his feet. And once he had his hands free of it, he rose to his full stature. But the effect had already been ruined. Who is- Don't even think about reaching for your weapon, Stratford. Keep your hands where I can see them. You too, Stone. What the hell is going on here? Wallace, what are you doing here? Interrupting whatever under-the-table exchange you two were wrapped up in, Stratford. I thought that part was obvious. What you're interrupting is an after-Earth League law enforcement sting operation in an AEL district. This is obstruction. I'll have your badge for this. This is a sting. Then where are your officers? You got guys hiding in the trees over there waiting to back your play, Malachi? I know you don't. I checked. How dare you presume to know my methods, you shrew. I'm about to break this murder case wide open, and you barge into my district and point a weapon at me? Count your days on the station, Commissioner. Give it up, Stratford. I know what you're up to. You think you're taking credit for bringing in that load and you're going to shut us out? This is my goddamn station. You're mistaken. I'm here to arrest Mr. Stone for trafficking. Funny, because you could have fooled me. I stood by silently as the two officers argued. They were totally fixed on their exchange, and I figured it was best to let Mommy and Daddy fight without my help. I thought of slipping away, slowly gliding into the night on Aldfar and letting them figure the rest of this out on their own. I took an unintentional step back, but only one. Rabbiting now wouldn't have done me any good, I knew. And an instant later, I saw that I wouldn't have made it very far anyway. Another figure emerged from the shadows, leading with something in his shaking, outstretched mitt. What in the damn black is going on here? Holy shit, Morgan. What... what are you doing here? Both Stratford and Wallace froze in their bickering and turned to see Flynn Morgan, half in shambles, his weapon drawn and pointed straight at me. I followed you here, you asshole. I waited outside your shitty little bar, and I followed you here. I saw you checking for tails, but you never made me. And I saw you going in the gardens, 
And I knew where you were going. Listen, Flynn, you don't understand. Why don't you shut up? I'm sick of listening to you lying to me. Making a fool of me. Oh, I bet you laughed about how you pulled your shit right under my nose, didn't you? And she probably laughed right along with you, didn't she? Oh, Jesus, Morgan, you're all lit up. You're not thinking straight. I think we all need to go up to the station and work this out. Commissioner Morgan, I'm placing Stratford under arrest for obstruction of justice and criminal conspiracy in an ongoing investigation. You can share credit on the caller, but I need you to put that weapon down. Now you hold on for just one- Hey! Stratford took a step towards Wallace, but froze when the barrel of Morgan's pistol swung his direction, and he held his hands up in front of him uselessly. No one's doing- No one is arresting anyone yet. Not until I understand what the hell is happening here. Flynn's eyes moved from Stratford, who was staring at him in mute terror, to Wallace, who was watching him over her own weapon like a jungle cat. She didn't seem inclined to offer any explanations at gunpoint. I decided to speak up before the silence swelled to explosion. Listen, Flynn. I said shut up! Not you! I'm not going to hear another lie from you, Stone, where I swear to the goddesses! He lunged at me and snatched hold of my shirt collar, pulling me toward him and smashing the barrel of the gun into my temple. I winced and tried not to gag at the smell of gun oil that suddenly filled the galaxy. This was the end. At least it sure felt that way. This whole crazy run was coming to a close. I was foolish to think I could get out of this clean. Or even at all. I guess in that moment I didn't have much room for shock or indignation. I'd lived hard and laid some heavy bets in my time. Somewhere in me, I knew what every guy like me knows. It's bound to catch up to you sooner or later. I guess I was just banking on later. We always are when our number gets called, I expect. Flynn looked drunk. He smelled drunk, and he was nursing a mixture of heartache, confusion, and worst of all, embarrassment. Morgan, you need to cool your jets here. I've got the situation under control. Just calm down. Shut up! Shut up! Just give me one goddamn end to figure this out here. Stafford, you start. He didn't release my collar, but Flynn moved the gun away from my head inflicted haphazardly in Malachi's direction. The AEL commissioner stiffened as the barrel swung his way again. He glared at Morgan, but cleared his throat and tried to squawk out an answer. You see, Morgan, I met Mr. Stone under the premise of working a you deal- You are working a deal, Stratford. Don't try to spin this now. Told you to shut up, Wallace! Flynn's gun again looped in Yoli's direction. Not happening, Morgan. You better get that goddamn gun off me right now. You all need to listen to me! I don't listen to assholes pointing guns at me, Flynn. Wallace! I shouted to Yoli, trying to signal her. While she had Morgan's attention, Stratford was pulling a weapon from his waistband. Both officers spun towards Stratford, but only Yoli fired, just as Malachi extended his arm, gun in hand. Wallace's bullet slammed through his chest and blew out his back. He spun around and collapsed in a bloody pile. Holy shit! Flynn shouted and I could see the panic rising in his eyes. He wasn't thinking clearly. 
He was grieving and drunk and exhausted and angry. He'd just seen Yoli Wallace shoot another officer of the law, and he'd almost done so himself, though I could see in his dumbfounded gawking that he hadn't meant to. Didn't make Stratford any less dead, though. And Morgan wasn't wearing it well. I saw his finger twitch on the trigger as he turned back to Wallace. Holy shit, what did you do? He had a weapon. He was... What did you do? He thrust the gun in her direction, terror naked on his face. There wasn't time to think. There was barely time to act. I drew the pistol I'd removed from the hidden cubby hole under the stairs at Salome's. Pointed at the guy I'd sworn friendship to earlier this evening. And shot. Flynn's head exploded in a sickening crimson shower, and his body thudded to the floor of the memorial gardens. Oh my God, he he was going to shoot me. Are you okay? He was going to shoot me. I know. It surprised me too. Did you call him here? No. Then why did he... I think he followed me. Like he said. You weren't expecting him? No, I didn't. He surprised me. Better cop than I gave him credit for, I guess. What surprises me is that you saved me. Isn't Morgan a buddy of yours? I looked at the lifeless husk dumping blood all over the garden path. My buddy. Hadn't I told him he was? My deal was with you. I keep my deals. You brought my money? Yeah. She stepped back towards where she'd appeared from minutes earlier and pulled a carrying case from the bushes. Then a deal's a deal, Wallace. Hand it over and you can finally consider your hands washed of me. I'll be off station before lights. That's not gonna work, Stone. It's too late to be changing your mind. We had a deal. That was before I had two dead law enforcement admins. There are gonna be a lot of questions now and you're a witness. You're gonna pin those on me? No, I'm not. But I'm also not going to wear that wrap myself. So, I need you here to sign some affidavits and give some depositions. I'll tell them that Morgan and Stratford killed each other. I need you to back me up on that. How are you going to sell that? They were in cahoots on running this stuff. I caught them and they tried to sell one another out. No honor amongst thieves. You'll say it went down like I said? Once again, I stared at Morgan's body. Most of his head was gone but one dead eye stared accusingly at me. He deserved better than to go down as a scumbag. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Then I guess you'll need to stick around for a while, Mr. Stone. I'm going to keep running my bar. Fine. I'm going to run it the way I see fit. Of course you are, Nolan. And if you make one mistake... You slip up once and give me a piece of evidence I can use without hanging myself, I'll bounce you into cryo. I can't stop you, and I need you here. But don't think that means you get a pass. Are we on the verge of an understanding, Commissioner? No, Stone. No, we're not. Now give me some space. I need to call my men in to take a statement. I looked around at the bodies on the ground the blood pooling around those bodies, running in tiny, tragic rivers between the cobblestones. Flynn and Cherry died not 50 meters from each other, 
maybe their stars crossed after all. I'll see you around, Yoli. Not around your place, Stone. Not around your place. I left Yoli to the cooling bodies, the pooling blood, and the box that had killed the Pinkerton, Dietz, the Coleridge, Cherry Cordial, Malachi Stratford, Flynn Morgan, and the stars only knew who else. My lighter in my pocket, and my hundred thousand restored to me. I wandered off for a park bench, still feeling somehow less than whole. A few hours and eight cops later, I was finally released. The station's daylights were on bright. One of Wallace's blues even offered me a lift back to the stockyards. I passed. I needed some time to clear my head and think about all that had befallen me that night. Hell, that week. I had blood on my hands. Gallons of it. And what did I get out of it? A lousy 10K on double zero. Was it worth it? Definitely not. Was it time to take that into consideration? Almost certainly. But would I pack up my life of shady contacts and shady deals? No. I'm a murderer. And a pimp. And a waste hound drunk. But I'm not a liar. At least, not one who lies to myself. The streets were crowded on this clear and cool early afternoon. People bustling about, chatting with one another, holding hands, scowling at passerby. All of them living a life I'd left behind a long time ago. Day life. I looked upwards and stared into the station lights, feeling like my retinas were searing as protesting tears leaked down my cheeks. I wasn't sure if I was trying to punish myself or just grab a hold of something I'd lost. But either way, it hurt. As an act of contrition, I know it was pitiful, given my crimes. But the fact is, I never was much one for self-flagellation. Eventually, I pulled my gaze from the skies above and focused ahead on the streets in front of me. Brightly colored ghosts twirled and capered in my vision. I found my feet and ambled off in the direction of home. Before long, I turned onto the street where Salome stood out boldly amidst the lesser buildings, even in the daytime with her exterior lights sleeping until twilight. At night, she glittered. Maybe after doors tonight, I'd pop out and take in the sight again. A reminder of what I'd almost lost, but was allowed to keep. Darius wasn't stationed outside at this hour, of course, but seven short raps on the front brought Grouper to the door. He let me in with a nod, no questions. I heard him lock the doors behind me. The place had been closed for hours. The staff who didn't stay here, Charlotte, Darius, Chewy, Winston, most of the others, 
They were all gone to sleep through the day wherever they called home. Some in the stockyards, in the horn, some in the menacing shadows of the underlevels, and definitely none in the Starlight District, where word of Stratford's disgrace and demise would spread like wildfire today. Stratford and Morgan's, I reminded myself bitterly. I'd be hearing about it from every customer tonight, and I'd be pressed to tell my version of the story again and again, or at least the version of the story that Wallace assigned to me. She'd made me a star in the narrative, second only to the intrepid commissioner herself, of course. According to Yoli, I helped her discover a plot between Stratford and Morgan, and with me pointing the way, we'd discovered them arguing over the trove of narcotics, each accusing the other of trying to screw them over. Things had gone sideways, and each of them took a bullet for their troubles. With the commissioner telling the story, there wouldn't be a need for a forensics investigation that would show the bullet that killed Morgan didn't come from Stratford's gun. Chewy startled me as I was halfway across the main room, my eyes slowly adjusting to the dim light and expecting the joint to be all but empty. Hey, boss. Didn't expect to see you here, Chewy. You forget your way home? Just wanted to make sure you made a back test in one piece. I sure hope I didn't give anyone here cause for concern. My business took longer than I'd hoped. Nah, no worries, boss. Miss Sarah and Darius closed everything down like clockwork. Hmm. Good. Where is Zara? Up in her room? No, she... She with one of the girls? Was there a problem? No. She... She left. What? She... Not long after we got the doors closed, she told me she was going. Going? Yeah, she didn't say... Well, she didn't mention when she was coming back. I see. She gave me this. Told me I should give it to you. He pulled a stiff piece of cardboard from his pocket, folded over once. My name was on the front. I recognized Z's handwriting. I took it from Chewie's hand and he looked relieved to be quit of it. I slipped it into my pocket. Think maybe you ought to read that, boss. Uh, Miss Zara had a suitcase. I will, Chewie. I'll read it in my office. Is everything all right, boss? Everything's just fine, Chewie. Everything is square. You say so, Mr. Stone. Chewie, I'm going to want you to come in a little early tonight. We're going to have to talk about some things, and then I'm going to need you to talk to the Charlies and the malls who work upstairs. Uh, you want me to... We'll talk about it later, Chewie. For now, I want you to go home. She might come back, Mr. Stone. She... Go home, Chewie. Yes, sir. I left Chewy in the dining room and climbed the stairs. The stiff, crisp cardboard in my pocket felt like a thousand pound weight. I all but limped into my office under its pressure, but I kept it in my pocket while I poured a drink. Then I thought of the day I met Zara, and I made it a double. I hobbled to my desk, and only just before sitting down did I pull it from my pocket and lay it down in front of me. I didn't open it. 
I knew what it said, or I knew enough. And I knew Zara well enough to know that Chewie was wrong, and that she was all the way gone. Exactly what words she'd use to say goodbye, whether they'd be kind ones about the last twenty years, or cruel ones about the past few days. I didn't have the inclination, or maybe the courage, to find out. I reached into my other pocket, and there it was. My old lucky charm. In a fantastic act of closing the barn door behind the horses, I gave it a thorough buffing against my shirt. Then I shrugged, and pressed my fingerprints over it again, as I opened it and spun the flywheel. The flint sparked, and flame danced from the wick. I stared into the fire's fumbling, lurid seduction for a moment that stretched to fill the width and breadth of this whole cursed nebula and beyond. There was fire enough for all of it, I thought. Then in the span of a heartbeat, my reverie was over. The flame licked and nibbled at the corner of Zara's farewell for only a breath, and then took hold of her node and grew beyond the lighter. I pinched her final words to me between my fingers for the barest handful of seconds, just until I felt my fingertips scream, and then I dropped it into the empty wastebasket beside my desk. Instead of closing the lighter, I opened my desk and from inside pulled out a scrap of parchment, an encoded Madre Benevolencia marriage contract that almost certainly contained the answer to the question Malachi Stratford had died asking why the Gaia Compact and the Madre Benevolencia were so up in arms about the box that had taken so many lives in the past few days. I couldn't read it, and I knew that if I could, I would have a much clearer picture about why the stars had exploded around Altfar Station. I also knew that sooner or later, someone would walk into Salome's who'd be able to read the twisted, angular squiggles. Some former Madre cleric or a religious history major with a habit for picking all the wrong numbers. Somebody. Someday. Somebody would come in who could help me make sense of this whole thing. And that's why the contract went into the fire next. Because I'd sooner be damned, sooner throw myself into the heart of the nearest sun than get myself involved any further in whatever the hell this had been. The parchment didn't put up even the resistance that Zara's cardboard note did. It all but drank the flame, wrapping itself in immolation like a blanket. Whatever stories the Nocturne Nebula had to tell from here, I wanted no part of. The marriage contract joined the remains of Zara's note, already twisted and black and smoking in the wastebasket, and that contract burned for only the barest handful of moments longer. And then it, too, was gone.
And that's where my story ends. You don't look exactly satisfied, friend. Not the story you're looking for? Or are you not looking for one story? For my story? No. I could see on your face as soon as you walked in here. You want to know what happened before and after. You want the whole story. Well, that's hard cheese, chum. Because the whole story isn't one story. It's lots of them. Spread from one end of this sector to the other. I know some of them. I heard them told in Salome's, or... Sometimes the wretched and the damned souls caught in those stories find their way here themselves. But I don't know all of them. You'll have to find those on your own. And good luck to you. I got a hunch you'll need it. Because these stories you're looking to hear, these confessions you're after, they don't come free and they don't come cheap. There's always a price to be paid eventually for the truth. And so, as I said, that's where my story ends. No answers, no one around, just three fingers of scotch, two ice cubes, a rocks glass, and the acrid smell of smoke hanging in the air of the bar at the center of the universe. I always believed Salome's was the one place in the Nocturne Nebula that I belonged. It was a good feeling. Lonesome, but good. To feel like the Nocturne believed the same thing. from the Nocturne Nebula, Episode 6. So long, Salome's. Produced by Yabium Music and Arts. Directed by Dale Rasmussen. Executive Producers Carly Shorman and Mark Anderson. Written by Carly Shorman and Dale Rasmussen. Sound design and original music by Devin Morris. Audio engineering by Devin Morris and Mark Anderson. Featuring Sean Collins, Ashley Naftool, Amy Blackwell, Celeste Alvarez, Brooks Cox, Derek Rushing, Katie Lee Faulkner, Lance Mascarenas, Sean Hans, and Dale Rasmussen. Thank you for listening to Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. Please check out the other podcasts available through the Yabium Network. You can find out more by heading to yabiumwest.com and selecting podcasts at the top, or find us on your preferred podcasting platform. 
to your stars.